Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would just be here in this place as you are and continue to be here through the word. I pray, God, that as you laid this message on my heart, that you would speak to your people. Help them understand, Holy Spirit, what your word actually says. Help them to understand what you are trying to tell us, even though we can't see it. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. And it continues on in verse 9. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So you have this imagery that John is trying to paint. He takes us back to the creation story in the beginning. He takes us back to this idea that God wasn't just there by himself, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all participating in this wonderful act of creation. And the Bible tells us, John tells us, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was the one speaking, and it was Jesus who, who was going to bring everything into creation. Everything was created by Him, in Him, for Him. All of it. There was nothing that was not made without Jesus. This shows you the importance of who we are, because when He created us in His image, he did it because he knows who he is and he knows what we are. And he's going to bring, he's going to do something very special for us. And he comes down into the world. And the Bible says in verse 10 that he was in the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I believe this is more literal than you can imagine. They didn't know it was the Messiah. Most of them didn't know. Most of them didn't believe. Matter of fact, the majority of the disciples that Jesus had following him left him. This is what John chapter 8 talks about. Yes, he had his 12 that were with him, and they stayed with him, and those were the ones that he wanted with him. But there was many disciples, and what is simply a disciple is someone who is a follower of Jesus. That's all a disciple is, that a follower of Jesus. Someone who follows. And there were many of them that followed and it was exciting. Some of them thought it was the latest fad. Some of them thought this guy was a good teacher. Some of them liked to see the miracles that were happening. Whatever the case was, they were followers of Jesus. And it got to the point where most of them abandoned him that he had to turn to his 12 and says, are you guys going to leave me too? The world did not recognize who Jesus was. Why? Because he looked just like us. He was just a man. He was just a man. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And here's what I want us to focus on this morning. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born on not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Verse 12 again, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. 
I know that I've taught you nothing new. What did you learn today? I'm a child of God. Oh, see, I didn't have to go to church. I already knew that. We all know that we're children of God. We all know that we have this relationship with the Father because of Jesus Christ. We have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have received His forgiveness and we have been given an opportunity to be His child. But most of us just kind of miss how John explains what actually happened. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on, Jesus. And you know, I, I believe you, but I mean, I still have my mom and dad. I know they're not with me right now. I know they're in Tennessee, down with all that barbecue, eating at Mexican restaurants. <laughs> I'm like, why, why go to Mexican restaurants, man? Go, to, go get some barbecue. But anyways, they're out Mexican restaurants having fun with my sister down in Tennessee. But, but Jesus... I, I know that I have a natural descent. I know that my parents, I know them. They gave birth to me. I mean, I don't remember it, but they showed me pictures. I believe them. But the Bible says that those who believe in him, received him, he received his name, we be given the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. We don't really understand or take this in a literal sense because we think in terms of us as human beings, flesh and blood. We think of ourselves in terms of our past and our present and what we hope for our future. We think in a worldly way, in an earthly way, I should say. Not in a sinful way, but just an earthly way. We think of things, of, of the way the way things work in this, in this realm. Because everything in this realm lives and dies. Everything in this realm has a beginning and has an end. And we as human beings know that we were given birth by our parents, but there is going to come a time where we will physically die. There comes to come a time, unless the Lord comes back, all of us must suffer the consequence of death. But the Bible tells us that when we give our life to Jesus, that something happens beyond our understanding. Something happens beyond more than just what we think it, our natural lives exist as. We are actually born of God. The Bible says that when you give your life to Jesus, you are a child of God because you are born of God. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus in just a few chapters, listen, no one can enter heaven unless they're born again. It literally means born from above. When someone says, are you born again? You say, yes, I'm born from above. That my citizenship, my birthright, my birth certificate is not tied to anything here in any government structure so I can have a, a certain number and, and work in society and, and be a part of this club that we call the United States of America. My birth certificate is no longer valid here because where I am born from is from a heavenly realm. God didn't born me here. 
When I gave my life to Jesus, he didn't come down to the earth and say, okay, let's just redo this. Let's just restart him. You know, let's just reboot him. And let's get rid of all the bad code. And let's just give him a fresh new understanding. No. The Bible says you were born of God. The only way you could be born of God, according to Jesus, is that you have to be born again. Born from above. We don't think like this. Because we're so tied up into this realm. Yes, we know we're children of God. But when you walked in this morning as a believer in Jesus, your Father, His origin is in the heavens. His origin is at His throne. And when we gave our life to Jesus, we have been born of God. Born from above. And that's why, Jesus, or that's why John tells us you're no longer of a natural descent. You're no longer just flesh and blood. What is running through your veins right now is the life that the Creator has placed in you. You see, we are born not of this world. We are born in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. That's why the Bible tells us that we are citizens of heaven. We lower our understanding of being children of God. And so what do we do then? We try to solve things within this realm. We try to approach things from our understanding of how things work here. Listen, I don't know. I don't know the miracles that you're asking for. I don't know how they're going to come about. I don't know how God is going to do it. I have no idea. But I do know this, that if you're praying and you're believing, something's going to happen and heaven is going to move on your behalf. Why? Because your Father, the substance that you now come from, is in heaven and He's watching. The substance that you now come from is not a material origin. It is of a heavenly nature. Now this is a little uncomfortable for people. You start talking like this, you say, oh, pastor, do you, do you think we're just little gods running around? No. We are not God. That's what humility is. Pride says, I am God. You are not. Humility says, you are God. I am not. And so we want to escape this divine nature conversation we don't want to talk about it in terms that the bible actually describes it as why because we're afraid that 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 people may misunderstand us and people may think wrong things and and you know it almost sounds like we're like we're like these little mini gods going around i'm not going to run away from what the bible tells us just because people can abuse his word i'm not going to run away from what the bible tells us and and live a life that is less than what the Bible tells us. God told us these things for a reason. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror. He tells us this for a reason. He tells us that we have victory in Christ. He tells us that we can do all things through Jesus. He tells us that whatever we ask for, He will answer. He tells us that even greater things that He's done that we would do. He tells us that. But we're afraid to go into the deep. And to get into this conversation of our divine nature. Did you hear what I said? Of our divine nature. Why do I say we have a divine nature? Because our nature is no longer tied 
to the elements that are in this earth. Our nature, where we come from, where our birth certificate is actually located is in heaven with the Father. Now, if we get this understanding in our spirit, if we get this understanding in our, in our under, you know, when we start to just take it from a knowledge to an understanding to, to, to something that we live by, you're going to change your whole way of thinking. The way you pray, the way you believe, the way you think is going to change. And, and this is what I'm trying to lead you to because I believe this, that God is going to do some amazing things. God is going to do some amazing things in this community, in this place, and it is going to affect the world around us. And I'm not just limiting our county. I am seriously, I know that God is going to do some amazing things. This has been brewing in my spirit for years that God is going to do signs and wonders like never before. But it's not going to come from people who think the way the world wants us to think. It's not going to come from the way we think the way church should go or the way our, 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 our routine or our Christianity should live according to what man says. I want to live according to what the Bible says. So I want us to understand that Jesus, or John tells us that we are children of God because we believe in Jesus, that we have been born not of a material nat- nature anymore, that who we are is not tied to this realm that who we are is tied to our Father in heaven. I was explaining this to my daughter, and she says, man, I'm so glad I don't have to call you mom and dad anymore. I said, girl, you better rethink this. You better hold up, hold up. Yes, we still have moms and dads. But my Father, the one who birthed me, the one who created me, the one who gave me a new life is in heaven. He's in heaven. This is important. Now I want us to keep this in mind as we turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is going to explain what this looks like. Acts chapter 17 this is a story about Paul and he is going around and he's he's teaching about Jesus and he comes to this place in Athens where they are filled with paganistic gods that they are worshiping. Verse 23, it tells us, and Paul is, is... is in the context here. This is the story about Paul. In verse 23 it says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant in the very th- of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So Paul is walking around and he sees all these different gods. He sees these temples. He knows that this place is a very paganistic place. There's multiple things here. This is a big epicenter of idols. And he says that as I was walking around, I looked closely and found this one altar that says to an unknown God. And Paul is going to use this as an opportunity to explain to them who that God really is. 
And it's true. Because to the world that doesn't understand Jesus Christ, he is unknown. The Bible tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who are in this world. He's blinded them. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know anything about life-giving salvation that Jesus gives us. That's why the Bible says that it's foolish. The cross is foolish to people who don't know. It's foolishness. I mean, think about what it's literally saying. The Bible is literally telling us that people are dying and going to hell and they think the, the way of salvation is foolish. It makes no sense to them. If they knew the truth, they would understand and they would repent and give their life to Jesus. But because they're blinded, because they don't know, because they're serving a God that is unknown to them. This is a nice, an, another way of saying that, that the God we know in Athens was dead to them. They don't know who this God is. And so Paul's going to explain. Verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. I want you to understand something. You think that I am just a someone who really just loves the creation story. I, you know, it's like everyone has their own niche in in ministry you know this one talks about grace this one talks about law and this guy in fairmont all he does is talk about creation creation is tied to everything the story of creation ties everything together and this is why there's been a purposeful attack by the enemy to dismiss and to abuse and to erase the story of creation from our understanding because if you can erase the creator then you'll never know who you are as, a, as his creation. And so this has been done purposeful by the enemy. And so instead of, instead of understanding who our creator is, we now rely upon man's knowledge to tell us who we are. And this, is, this has been purposeful. And so Paul starts off, and he wants to explain to them that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he's needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of the lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are His offsprings. Paul is explaining to them who God is, that He's the Creator. He made everything. And He gives them an understanding that everything that we are as human beings came from one person. He doesn't name Him, but he came, it came from Adam. Verse 26, from one man he made all the nations. Everyone that you see here, people, is the result of one man. His name was Adam. Everything that you see. And God did this so that they would seek him. Verse 27, reach out to him, find him, though he's not far. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul is quoting something here that is not 
inspired text of God, meaning the Holy Spirit didn't say, Paul, I want you to write this. In Him we live and move and have our being. There's even been horrible songs written about this. In Him we live. I can't even remember the song, but I remember it was horrible. Right? <laughs> what is that song? Now I'm, I'm, come on, what is it? In Him we... Come on, I'm gonna, not going to stop until we do it. What, what is that song? What was it? Yeah, he's saying it's soft enough so no one can hear you. It was horrible. And we sang it all the time, but Paul is quoting a poet from a play. You notice Paul is using their words to help them understand. In him we live and move and have our being. And then he quotes another thing. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offsprings. This concept, this idea that we are all God's children is something that Paul is challenging them to understand. He's telling them, listen, your poets say this. Your poets say that we are all God's offspring and that in Him we live and move and have our being. This is what you guys say. But let me explain to you what it really means. And this is what he's going to do in verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone in the image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He says, for He has set a day and He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof this, to this for everyone by raising Him from the dead. Paul is going to explain to them, listen, you guys don't know who God is. And you even have these sayings in Him we live and move and have our being and, and you believe that we are all His offsprings. But let me explain to you what it really means. Verse 29 again, Therefore, we, since we are God's offspring, Paul is repeating a belief that John wrote about that we are God's children, His offspring, the people that come from Him. We are not offsprings because we got we got two parents that were Christians and we were raised in a Christian home. We're not offsprings because we decided to join a club or you decided to become a member of the church. You are not offsprings because of any of those things. You are offsprings because you gave your life to Jesus. You were born from above. You repented of your sins. You asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Now you are born from above. And because of that, your citizenship, your bloodline starts with the Father. Who you are as his, his children is His children. Who you are as children is His children. So these people just thought everyone was their offspring of God or a God or whatever God it was. But Paul says, no, you must repent and then you will become a child of God. And then, then he says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or the image made by human design and skill. Paul is saying something very profound here. And this concept, this word that he uses, is only used three times in the New Testament. He says this, You should not think of the divine being as like gold or silver or stone. What is the divine being? Now some people right away say, Oh, that's, you know, that's God. And, and, and he's, not, he's not, you know, silver and stone. He's not a, he doesn't live in a temple. He's not an idol. That, that, that the, the divine being is, is of a divine nature, and so it has to be God. That's not what Paul is talking about. 
Look at the context. He is talking about we who are offsprings of God. He says that therefore since we are God's children, God's offspring, we should not think that who we are is like gold or silver or stone. We should not think of who we are as a divine being and lower ourselves to the worship of false things. This is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul is trying to teach people. And why is he talking like this? Because Paul is talking in a language they understand. They understand gods. They understand false gods. They understand a spiritual world. And Paul is speaking to them in a spiritual language. And he is letting them know that we are his offspring. We are children of God. And what does it mean? That we don't think of ourselves as some little image or idol or something that is false. We are of a divine nature. That's what Paul is telling them. Like I said, it gets uncomfortable when you start talking like this. Oh, no, 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 no. It's got to be talking about God. You ever ask yourself, how does God think of you? Look in the mirror. You know what you think of yourself. Look in the mirror. You can come up with ways of how to describe yourself. But how does God look at you? How does God look at you? He does not look at you as someone who is broken. He does not look at you as someone who is imperfect. He looks at someone who is their son, their daughter. He looks at you as someone who comes from him, that has his nature in them, that is a part of him. When my son comes home, my son comes home, he just was visiting this last weekend. He believes he has the right to buffalo wings. Every time he comes home, he believes this. Every time. And he says, Dad, you know, listen, I am from you. I am of your, your DNA. And, and the wife that you chose has given birth to me. And because we are blood, we are family. My father, please provide for me buffalo wings. And I said, do you know how much buffalo wings cost, son? Oh, dad, what is that between blood relatives? Dad. And so last night, we had buffalo wings. I mean, the honest truth is I like them too. But anyways, but he believes because he came from us, flesh and blood, that he is a part of our family, that he has the right to ask. And because we look at our son as someone that we love, someone that we care for, and someone that we want to make happy, we look at him and say, we'll do it. We'll do it for you. Why? Because that's the way we see him. We don't see him with all his imperfections. We don't see him with all his failures. We see him as that little kid playing with that toy, having fun. We see him as a kid that is seeking the Lord and, and wanting Jesus to move in. We see him as our son. So Paul is explaining, listen, I'm going to explain to you what children really look like. And you should never look at yourself in a divine, as being of a divine nature and limited it to the things of this world. The stone, the gold, the silver. Now those things are valuable to this world. Those things are valuable. I mean, you can't watch TV without running around commercials with IRA and gold and silver and 
and you know and and all these precious stones that are around it's everywhere but yet paul is saying listen those things have no value compared to who you really are you are of a divine nature and this is why we should not think of ourselves the divine being in terms of earthly things like gold and silver in the past god looked such ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent to repent and he did this by sending jesus christ now this verse alone you could say well no i still believe it's talking about god okay well let's look at the other two times that this word is used here to describe the divine being let's turn to second peter chapter one. Second peter chapter one if you don't know where second peter is it's right after first peter Second, listen, I only get to say those jokes so often, okay? Second Peter, chapter 1. Second Peter, chapter 1. He is going to explain, he's going to use the same word, divine being. He's going to use it twice. So Paul used it once in the book of Acts. Peter is going to use it twice. Look with me at verse 3. Second Peter, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Who is Peter talking about? He is talking about Jesus. Verse 2 says, Grace and peace to yours in abundance through our knowledge and Lord and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power. So he's talking about Jesus. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness for through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Twice this is used in these two verses, the word divine being. This word for divine being. The first time is describing Jesus. His divine power. So Peter uses this word to describe Jesus. That His divine nature, His divine power, who Jesus is as a divine individual, who Jesus is as someone who is of a divine nature, and who is Jesus? God. We know this. This is not hard for us to get our minds around. We know that Jesus is of a divine nature. And what does it say then? That He's given us the knowledge of Him who called us by His glorious glory and goodness through through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you talking about the church may participate as a divine being a divine nature of the same substance as jesus how do we start off the church today asking you why do people call used to in the old days call each other brothers and sisters because it wasn't just a common friendly term it was because you and i are of the same nature and that nature is what belongs to jesus in heaven to our father in heaven that nature who we are the substance that make us up who we are belongs to our father in heaven and peter says listen it is jesus's divine nature his divine being that gives us the ability to participate in the divine nature because we are of a divine substance the bible tells us because we believe in jesus we no longer are born of a natural substance or a natural cause or because someone decided to have a child that we are born 
of a divine nature, that we are born of a kingdom that is not of this world, and that our Father, the one that we owe our life to, the one that gives us the life that flows through the veins in which we have, comes from God. And because of that, He cannot look at you as someone who is a sinner or someone who is of flesh and blood. He looks at you the way you really are, of a divine nature. This is why the Bible says that, that, that when we give our life to Jesus, that He makes us a new creation. A new creation. Why? The old is gone. The new has come. The old, the broken, the imperfect, the fallen, the unrighteous, the things that come from a natural world are gone. And now a new creation happens. And He gives us a new divine nature. He gives us someone of the substance that is just like Jesus. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus, that's why Jesus tells us, listen, my brothers and my sisters belong to me. They are of me. They are like me. We are brothers. We are brothers. We are family. The Bible tells us that we're born of God. Paul explains what it means to be a child of God. That you do not have a natural, a earthly nature. You have a divine nature. That there is something more about you than you know. And Peter explains that it's because of his divine nature that gives us the ability to participate in our divine nature here on earth to overcome this world. If you can get that in your heart, I'll tell you what, your prayer life is going to be different. Your belief in the Lord is going to be different. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Because when you understand that everything that you are is of a heavenly source you begin to see things from a heavenly source you begin to pray things from a heavenly source you begin to believe things from a heavenly source ephesians tells us praise be to the lord our god the father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us his children people that have a divine nature people that have the same substance of god because we are his children he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you notice the language that Paul is using? Listen, you are blessed in the heavenly realm. Why? Because that's where your father is. That's where you come from. If you want to be blessed in this earthly realm, you can serve another God. His name is Satan. You can serve him and he'll give you everything you want in this world. But if you belong to God, if you are his child, you no longer have residency here. You belong to an heavenly nature. And then God is going to bless you in the heavenly realms where you belong from. And he will give you every spiritual blessing. And there's nothing this world can stop what God is doing. There's nothing in this world that can stop what God wants in your life. There is nothing that can resist the very thing that God desires for you. Now sometimes it doesn't come quickly. You, we know this because in the book of Daniel, Daniel's praying and God sends the answer and he sends the angel and the angel goes, but the one who is guarding the kingdom, this demonic entity that's guarding the kingdom is resisting God's messenger to Daniel. It took Daniel 21 days 21 days in order to get the message that God sent right away. Matter of fact, this angel didn't even have enough strength to overcome the territorial angel that was watching over the providence of Persia that Michael, the archangel, had to come and help in order for Daniel to receive what God wanted. 
I'm telling you, there is a spiritual battle that is happening above us that we don't see. And you're like, God, why don't you answer our prayers? He probably already has. It's just that there's been some resistance. God will not delay. Jesus told us that, that when you pray, your father will not delay. That he's not an unjust judge. He will answer and he will answer quickly. But there is a battle that is happening in the spiritual realm. Why? Because that's the source of our answer. The source of your answer isn't man. The source of your answer isn't your job or what people can do for you or how you can survive here on earth. The source of who and everything you need comes from the Father. And there is going to be resistance. There's a battle that is happening above us. That's why the Bible tells us don't lose faith. Have faith. Stop believing what you see. Live by faith. Stop believing in what you think you know. There's so much more happening. Why? Because our residency is in heaven. And God is going to bless you in the heavenly realm. I'll just tell you, as, as personally, when I pray, I lift my hands and I lift my eyes to the heavens. I go out whenever I can and I look up at the stars and I say, Father, I know you are up there. I know that you sit upon the throne. According to Isaiah, you are seated right above me. And I know that you see me. And my, my residency, who I am, is not of this place. I am a citizen of heaven. I am your son. And Father, will you not move on my behalf? I'm asking you to send whatever it is up there, down here. And you know what he does? He manifests it. He makes it happen. And this is what prayer is all about. We pray. Think about what we do when we pray. We speak. So all we do is speak. God, please, God, please, God, please. God, thank you. God, love you. God, this. And we listen. But all we're doing is communicating. And it is through that, because it's a spiritual act, it is through that we touch the Father's heart, and then the Father who is spirit manifests whatever we need here in the earthly realm. He'll make it happen. But you've got to believe that your Father is the one that you call Dad, and that He's the one who's given you life, that your citizenship isn't here. You are of a divine nature. You are not of gold and of silver and stone. You are not what scientists want to boil you down to just chemicals and, and material. You are God's child. And that is why I believe if you get this in your heart, you will start seeing things happen like never before. Because I'll tell you, my God is above all things. There may be a God who is over this world right now. There may be a God who has blinded people and a God who is opposing us and a God who is trying to defeat everything that our God wants, but our God is most high and he still has the ability to make anything happen and he said he would do it. Why? Because we are his children, his offspring.